You are listening to Kubernetes Bytes, a podcast bringing you the latest from the world of cloud-native data management. My name is Ryan Walner, and I'm joined by Bobin Shaw, coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. We'll be sharing our thoughts on recent cloud-native news and talking to industry experts about their experiences and challenges managing the wealth of data in today's cloud-native ecosystem. Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are. We're coming to you from Boston, Massachusetts. Today is September 14th, 2022. I hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Let's dive into it. Uh, before we get into today's news and topics, Pavan, um, what have you been up to lately? Oh, I'm I'm like always, I'm back to the mode where I'm in front of my keyboard, front of my monitor, just, <laughs> just doing things. Uh, I think I, I uh, made people jealous when I spoke about my Glacier National Park. Trip. So <laughs> I think I, I got assigned a lot of tasks. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you certainly made me jealous, but I don't get to assign you any tasks. So. <laughs> uh, no, no more, no more. <laughs> No, so uh, yeah, I've been like heads down working on things. I know we have KubeCon coming in in a month and a week, so like five weeks, which okay sounds really soon. It does. It does. <laughs> yeah. uh, but other than that, I think um, I'm sad because uh, summer is almost over. I don't know when the official transition happens into fall, but I follow an Instagram <laughs> channel here in in Boston, and they are like, oh, to, and last week they had a post where like, oh, today is the last day when sun will set after seven p.m. in Boston. I was like. Damn it! Like okay, we have to get ready for that that early uh, early sunsets. Yeah, I consider this late summer or pre fall, whatever you yeah. want to call it. It's not fall yet. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I think I think until I uh, see frost, it's not like officially fall for me. Um, it's got to be real cold at night, you know, when you wake yeah, up. Yeah, I'll stick to uh, that definition too. <laughs> <laughs> it's just me clinging on to the the last bit of summer is really what it is. <laughs> Nice. What have you been up to? I know you had a, an awesome trip. I did. Yeah, I spent um, a good amount of time uh, up in the Green Mountains in Vermont. If anybody's from the East Coast, uh, the Green Mountains are sort of um, a beautiful New England national forest. And um, I was at the top part of it uh, without cell service for about four days, which is glorious. If you haven't tried it. <laughs> Go ahead and try to go off the grid a little bit uh, mm -hmm. safely, of course. Uh, I was doing camping and an adventure uh, off-road dirt bike riding, basically, for about four days. And it was wonderful, taxing on the body, but fun. I came back uninjured. Okay. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which is good. It's the best scenario, I think. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I realized, you know, um, just how how nice it was to just be off the grid a little bit. And you're coming back to all these, you know, notifications and stuff. I encourage it, especially in this world that we live in technology, we're always consuming information. Mm -hmm. so it's nice oh, yeah. to give the brain a break. Um, no, I think yeah. uh, whenever we meet in person next, I do need to ask you this like new to New England question. Why do we have mountain ranges after colors? Like there's green mountains in Vermont, there's white mountains in New Hampshire. What's going on there? <laughs> uh, your best guess is as best as mine, probably. I don't know the answer to that question. Um a good one probably something to do with something a long time ago so my 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 answer mm -hmm. to most things like that <laughs> <laughs> nice um cool so why don't we jump into the news before today's topic which is uh, kafka and kubernetes and we have um a really great guest we'll introduce him in just a little bit but before that let's jump into today's uh this week's news Bob, yeah, so you kick us off Yep. Yeah. So uh, as always, whenever I find a new acquisition or funding round, I like to talk about it. Mm -hmm. So I saw Valent uh, raised their Series B funding round, uh, $40 million. I think just 
scaling, right? Uh, they, they are the maintainers of the Cilium project and Cilium Enterprise. And if you're using any managed Kubernetes service, or even if you're deploying vanilla open source Kubernetes clusters, uh, more likely than not, Cilium is a CNI that you're using. So they're just using this to expand and then support, get more customers. I already see a few uh, open positions on Twitter that uh, Isovalent has started sharing from product marketing to technical marketing. So I think they're just using this money to scale and, and, and serve more customers. Um, and, and other news, like non-acquisition or non-funding news, uh, AWS had a couple of announcements. So they launched something called as Amazon EKS Anywhere Curated Packages. And what do we mean by curated packages? These are just open source projects that Amazon uh, likes, uh, Amazon has tested with their EKS Anywhere uh, or EKS distribution, e EKSD. And they, they can now uh, ship it or have it as available as a catalog for people. So these can be uh, things that fall into one of these following buckets. It can either be something that's Amazon built, Amazon scanned, Amazon signed, Amazon tested, and Amazon supported. So these are... At the end of the day, they are open source projects, but you can rest assured that this is something that the AWS team is testing on EKS Anywhere and then making it available uh, to their users with, which have those uh, enterprise subscriptions. Another news in the uh, EKS open source ecosystem, uh, Carpenter, which is their compute and memory-based capacity management open source project. Uh, it's just in addition to their cluster autoscaler. Uh, they now have a new feature or a new PR that was just merged around cluster consolidation. So that allows you to set policies in place where uh, you can uh, you can actually remove nodes uh, uh, from your clusters if they are not being used at, at their, the optimal level. Like if you have a really big cl uh, EKS cluster which is not being used, uh, what Carpenter can help you do is move workloads around to a, a subset of nodes and then remove the nodes that that were not actually being utilized. Or uh, so. In addition to removal, they can also help you replace with cheaper instances. So all of that is just getting added to the open source project. So if you are an EKS user, right, look at Carpenter and, and test out these new features. I think uh, one last thing that I had today was from VMware Explore. Uh, if, if people remember, we recorded the GitOps episode uh, of while I was out in San Francisco. They had updates to their Tanzu portfolio, some renaming from something that was called Tanzu Observability with Wavefront to Tanzu Aria uh, monitoring or something like that, mm -hmm. uh, but they have they have in in addition to the renaming, they also have uh, enhancements introduced into VMware Tanzu Mission Control, which now supports uh, lifecycle management for Amazon EKS clusters. So if you are uh, using EKS, you have connected it to the Mission Control interface. You can now also upgrade these EKS clusters from Mission Control rather than having to go back to Amazon's uh, toolset. Uh, it, uh, new capabilities in VMware Tanzu Kubernetes Grid, which uh, which basically means that they have taken whatever new uh, the cluster API project has in terms of uh, con constructs like cluster class. And then a quick plug, like if you want to know what cluster API and these cluster class concepts are, go and listen to our podcast that we did with Scott Lowe. Uh, but Tanzu Kubernetes Grid 2.0 has some integrations with, with, with uh, cluster API or enhanced integrations with cluster API. And then finally, it was Tanzu application platform they did add uh, OpenShift support. So if you are using Tanzu application platform or TAP, you can now use it with your OpenShift clusters as well, in addition to Tanzu. And then they are adding air gap support in late late 2022. So my uh, assumption is in their uh, Europe event in Barcelona in November is when that will actually be GA. But yeah, that's it for the news for me. 
really good stuff, Bobbin. Um, I think the the big one that I wanted to talk about was KubeCon EU 2023. Um, <laughs> yes, we are, in fact, talking about 2023 already. Um, the CFPs are now open. We'll put the <clears throat> uh, link to the call for papers, some important dates you might want to keep in mind. The uh, CFPs opened on the 7th. They close for now uh, on the 18th of November, 2022. Uh, a lot of times those do get moved, so mm-hmm. pay attention uh, around those dates to see if they do get moved. But the 18th of November is one to know. And then you'll be notified by the beginning of February, basically. And then we will all see each other, hopefully, again in the EU in uh, April. Yeah, Amsterdam. Amsterdam. Yeah, uh, uh, a rebuttal, I guess, uh, of sorts. <laughs> um, from 2020, was it? Yeah. <laughs> Supposed to be? Yeah. <laughs> So that was a, a good one. Get your call for papers in. Um, and then the other one I had here was uh, a bunch of announcements from Google Cloud Platform. Uh, basically, um, there's a bunch of additional storage capabilities uh, and storage services for GKE. Um, the two I'm going to talk about is um, the introduction of Google Cloud Hyperdisk, which is uh, the next gen uh, instance of sort of uh, persistent disk. If you've been using persistent disk service, um, this is sort of the next bit um, that uh, Kafka, sorry, that um, um, Google Cloud has come mm-hmm. out and basically has more IOPS and memory uh, bandwidth uh, to be used. Uh, the other part of this is the addition of um, the um, file store enterprise for accessing NFS based storage um, to be accessible in Google Cloud Kubernetes uh, running on GCP. So this basically enables um, you know enterprises to modernize and bring in their staple applications into GKE more and more. Um, and the uh, other one that I want to talk about was uh, Cloud Casa. Uh, or Catalogic, or Cloud Casa by Catalogic, and Ondat um, announced a partnership for doing um, data protection, backup as a service, um, which is really cool. I think Ondat recently came out with snapshots and things like yep. that. So this is sort of a um, uh, expected next types of um, support to do backups on that those types of data for uh, kind of recovery of applications. And mm-hmm. No, really I, cool. I think... Talking about on that, right? I do remember seeing something over the last week where uh, they did pick up some new funding. They didn't share like how much or what round it was. And then they had some uh, movement, like the CEO became the CTO and then the chief commercial officer is now the CEO. So like a few changes, I think new partnerships, just uh, I guess, yeah, moving up. Got it. Cool. Yeah, we'll definitely include those links as well. And then there's a couple links we'll put in there. I'm not going to go into them right now. Uh, one is about um, uh, CNCF live webinar about mm-hmm. using Canister and Argo. Uh, really cool stuff. Canister from Kasten um, uh, is a really cool piece of um, product slash code that you can kind of work with. Uh, so definitely go check that out. And then the other one is an article about Kubernetes complexity. I think this was a really great article because it kind of talks about um, when to consume that complexity and when the problem uh, in front of you calls for getting Kubernetes involved in the first place. Sometimes the right answer is don't use Kubernetes. <laughs> uh, we we all as practitioners and sort of users of Kubernetes love Kubernetes, mm-hmm. um, but there are people out there trying to make these real decisions. And sometimes the answer is not to use Kubernetes, um, yeah. but there's good times and bad times to accept the complexity that is, um, you know, associated with running Kubernetes. And, um, you know, I, I think, uh, 
go take a read. Uh, I think it's worth it. And uh, yeah, that's the news. No, yeah. I, I agree. I think technology just for technology's sake is not cool. Like yeah. even though we like to talk about things, uh, it, it, you should only adopt something if the overall ROI is going to be more than the amount of effort that you put in, right? Like uh, overall benefits are, are are larger than the amount of effort. So uh, if you are on this adoption journey, there are definitely some benefits of using to using Kubernetes, even for stateful applications, things that we continuously like to talk about. But yeah, it's not for everyone, right? Like if you are a smaller organization, you just want to run one application, Kubernetes might be the, not the, might not be the solution for you. But if you're a larger organization with thousands of developers, yeah, Kubernetes probably makes sense. So uh, yeah, go to read this article. It, it does a good job, job about like talking about all the different things and like control plane and containers and everything that's in, uh, involved with Kubernetes. Absolutely. Cool. And uh, so let's switch gears to the topic we have today. Again, this uh, topic is going to be Kafka and Kubernetes. We have Justin Lee um, uh, coming on the show, who is a principal solutions engineer at Confluent, and he mostly helps customers getting into Kafka, either the self-managed or the fully managed versions in the cloud. And we're excited to have him on the show and talk all things uh, Kafka on Kubernetes. So without further ado, Let's get Justin on the show. Uh, hey, Justin, and welcome to Kubernetes Bytes. Uh, we are so excited to have you on the show to talk about Kafka and Kafka on Kubernetes uh, specifically. But before we dive into those uh, technical questions, right? Let's just let's just start with like, what do you do at at Confluent, and how like what does your day job look like? Yeah, I'm really glad to be here. Um, I am a principal solutions engineer, which means I work with uh, new and potential customers of Confluent to make sure that they're able to use our product, right? So this consists of Kafka in the cloud, we call that Confluent Cloud, as well as some customers that will run their own Kafka clusters on premise, and we call that Confluent Platform. Awesome, uh, awesome. So um, I think the natural first question for many folks, and maybe people aren't familiar with what Kafka is, I think many might be listening to the show, but why don't we start with just what is Kafka and, and sort of how does it work in a, in a high level? Yeah, Kafka is a distributed event streaming platform, right? So it's it's a system where you put data in, you have producers that put data in, um, and then you have consumers that get take data out. And we allow you know a, a whole bunch of new patterns around you know data distribution within your company and real time event stream processing. Okay, so like, can we can we take an example application maybe? It doesn't have to be like an actual customer, but like, how are people using Kafka? I've like. I think I, I listened to the Confluent podcast uh, and one of the use cases was really cool when it was talking about like uh, military edge deployments. And then uh, when, when the soldiers are back at the base camp, they sync data back. So like some, something around to explain like, okay, how does this event streaming platform actually work? Yeah. So I think there's a couple of really obvious examples of this, right? One of the most obvious examples is when you're doing um, ordering things online, right? You go to like, you know, some website and order like a treadmill or something. Click the button, and that sends a message over to the the retailer, and then they do some processing internally. They send you a notification, and then you you pick up your treadmill, right? Mm -hmm. So all of those interactions that have occurred are we call those events, and those are things that are occurring in you know some business. And so Kafka is really the event stream platform that allows you to do that sort of interactions, right? All of the things that your customers interacting with your business, you're clicking on your website. All of those things. It allows you to track all of those, capture all of those, process all of those in real time, and then you know interact with them and, and build applications on top of that. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then, so how does this differ from 
things like mongodb or cassandra like like longer term databases like sql no sql distributed how does kafka differ from those yeah so one of the big differences is that kafka is very time focused right it's very focused on things that are happening right so like a tr- traditional relational database or a no sql database it's think about you put a bunch of data in and then you kind of kind of operate that operate on that after the fact mm-hmm. kafka is designed to operate on events as they are occurring so things like oh i've place an order. So I so the company needs to send me a notification to my phone. They need to send a notification to the store to take the treadmill out of the back. They need to send me an email. All those things allow you to build experiences on top of events that are occurring. Okay. okay. Yeah, that makes sense. <clears throat> um, you know, I think when it comes to Kafka, and I've, I've used it a, a number of different times, um, one way, or I think one question I have is sort of, how to help people sort of understand that difference in, in data types. Like what, what's a, I know you gave an example of an application, but yeah. um, what's a good example of sort of that type of data that you would kind of act on? So would another example be helpful here? Or sure, what do you, yeah. 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 Okay. <laughs> so another example that we see, um, or actually, so this, this is a good one, right? The way Kafka was initially built at LinkedIn, right? It, it was used to power or it is used to power the LinkedIn feed. So if you go to okay. LinkedIn and like scroll through the page, right? And see all like your your friends and coworkers, you know, got a new job or are leaving their job or have posted something, all that's powered by Kafka, right? So it's all of the real-time interactions that people are doing with the LinkedIn platform where I say, right. I have got a new job, so I'm going to post about that. And then I want other people to be able to see that information. Mm-hmm. So the data platform that that's running on is actually, you know, Apache Kafka, because that's where Kafka was founded or where okay. Kafka was created. Um, that's different from, again, like the, you know, traditional or more, yeah, more traditional da- data systems where it's a little bit more, you put the data in, then you process it in batch or you process it like at the end of the day. It's right. like, here are things that are happening in real time. And it's a stream of events that can be interacted with and processed and consumed. Yeah, I like the term stream of events, right? Um I uh, I know in the case that I've used it in the past, it was from sort of an on-premise data center where we were streaming sort of uh, data from traditional data sources to sort of newer consumers um, in the cloud. So we had this basically stream and kind of um, uh, that used Kafka in the middle um, <clears throat> to kind of stream those messages uh, to different data sources and things like that. So. Um, I think that's what makes it click for me. Who knows? Maybe maybe it does for <laughs> others as well. Um, cool. Yeah. Um, I think my, my my next question is like bringing it back to Kubernetes, right? Since this is Kubernetes bytes, like yep. why the move to Kubernetes? Like Kafka, as you said, was developed by LinkedIn or, or contributed to open source community by LinkedIn at some point, And this was a few years back. Why the change or why should people consider running Kafka on Kubernetes? I think, well, okay, so there's a couple parts to this, right? Kafka is, at its core, a distributed system, right? So you have multiple components that are running together. There's zookeepers and there's brokers, and realistically, there's many of each, right? And they all have state, and they all have are storing uh, data as long as you want them to. And you need a way to orchestrate that in large systems, right? So the, the benefit, obviously, and you all know this probably better than I do, the benefit of Kubernetes is that it manages... The, lifecycle, right? You, if, a, if, a, if a container goes down, if a pod mm-hmm. goes down, Kubernetes will restart that. It also manages things like storage and networking and things like that. Mm-hmm. And those are the things that are really hard in large-scale distributed systems. So Kubernetes solves a lot of the problems that come with you know, large-scale distributed systems. 
Gotcha. Okay. No, thank you. That that helps, right? Like there are the inherent benefits of Kubernetes that actually help Kafka uh, yeah. as as that streaming platform. Like my like next logical question, right? Like how do I run it or how do I deploy it? Like what's the next step? Yeah. So there's a couple of options. Um, one of them, right? Obviously, I work at Confluent, so we have a product for this. We we offer us a product that we call Confluent for Kubernetes, and this is a fully featured um you know operator that runs on Kubernetes. You you define your Kafka cluster, your Zookeeper cluster in a CRD, and then the operator takes care of the rest, right? So that's, that's our offering. There's mm-hmm. also open source offerings. So I know that, you know, some, some people use StreamZ and it's a very good effect. And I, mm-hmm. I know that that exists. I'm mm-hmm. not an expert on that particular tool, but I know that's the other option in the ecosystem. Gotcha. I think, yeah, whenever I search for Kafka on Kubernetes, StreamZ is always like number two or three uh, <laughs> as, as the option. Like I haven't seen like more advancements, right? Like, over the past few months from StreamZ, right. but yeah, that's always always the result that shows up. Uh, so I think when you introduce yourself, right, or introduced Confluent, I think we spoke about how there is a, a managed service and then there is like things that people can run on their own. Can we talk about like how, how Confluent actually runs that managed service? Is Kubernetes involved at all? Yeah, so we actually um, run a very, very, very large Kubernetes footprint with Kafka on top. Um, there is a recent report um, that was released internally uh, and then, you know, we, we got approval to release it externally, basically. We have um, approximately 2,000 Kubernetes clusters on which we run our cloud platform. That includes something like 50,000 uh, nodes, VMs, uh, worker nodes on the Kubernetes cluster, and just about half a million pods, right? So Ooh. we run a lot of Kubernetes, and we run a lot of Kafka. Right. Okay. <laughs> that's, a, that's some huge numbers, like half a million pods. Okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Trying yeah. to wrap my mind around. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, like, do do people that are consuming this managed cloud service know that they are actually running on Kubernetes, or that's something that you just shared right now? I mean, it's it's documented, right? Like, okay. it's not like from the perspective of an end user, you can't see that you're running, right. you're that you're using a platform that runs on Kubernetes. But we don't really hide it, right? It's in our mm-hmm. blog posts about it. We talk about it. We do you know tech talks on it. So it's it's a pretty public piece of information. But yeah, from a, from an end user perspective, right? All they get is a Kafka cluster, right? So they say like, I want to, I want a Kafka cluster. I want to do stuff with it. I want to send data, read data, et cetera, et cetera. Right? You click a button, you get that. And under the hood, it's all Kubernetes automation on our side. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like with a managed service too, if the user sees the complexity of Kubernetes, you're probably yeah, doing something a little you're wrong. Doing something wrong <laughs> if, if you can see that. <laughs> nice. No, I think uh, people. The reason I, I was asking about this, uh, the specific deployment, right? Because people in the ecosystem are still worried that yeah, is Kubernetes the right platform for yeah. running databases or data services? Yeah. So, like this actually helps a lot, right? Like we 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 had a previous guest on our podcast from DataStax, and even their DataStax Astra service, which is a managed Cassandra service, runs on Kubernetes. Yeah. So, like it just like getting these data points like DataStax and then Confluent, these guys are offering these managed services on Kubernetes that helps the ecosystem out a lot. And the the numbers that you shared, like half a million pods, I think 2000 clusters and five, I don't remember the number of nodes, but those are just crazy high. So yeah. no, that, that definitely, I think, helps us tell this story. Uh, for going back to the operator, right? Like if I'm doing this on my own, on my own Kubernetes cluster, uh, is that something that's available to everyone? Is that something that I need a Confluent license for? How does that work? It's something you can get started with for free, right? Okay. So we basically have a 30-day license out of the box. You click the bu- you click the button or you install the operator via a Helm chart, you install mm-hmm. the CRDs, everything, you can you can play around with that. 
if you're looking to use it past 30 days, you, you should contact us. We can figure something out, right? And I'm not going to go into the commercials on the com this conversation, but no, sure. that is a thing. It <laughs> is an enterprise feature. It does cost yeah. money. That, there, that's part of it. Um, again, there is also the open source offering, uh, StreamZ. I know yeah. I've heard customers that say that it that works. I have no concerns about it. But I just don't know it that well. Yeah, yeah. makes sense. Now, um, I think maybe there are some folks that want to know a little bit of the nuts and bolts of what is really being deployed into their Kubernetes cluster. If they are kind of going out on their own and trying to understand using the operator and deploying, you know, Kafka on Kubernetes. So maybe if you could you know, talk about a little bit of the different Kubernetes resources or CRDs or anything that is actually deployed by the operator when you get started. Yeah, so there's, um, I, the way I think about it is that there's two types of CRDs that we have. We have those CRDs that run pods or that are, you know, run things that run pods that are the actual Kafka cluster. Mm -hmm. And then we have CRDs that manage things inside the Kafka cluster. Right. Right. Okay. So for the first half, the two primary ones that you're going to care about are the Zookeeper cluster, which is basically the metadata store for mm -hmm. Kafka, mm -hmm. and then the broker cluster or the Kafka cluster, which are the actual, you know, worker nodes in the Kafka cluster. Right. So in our, in our operator, we have a CRD for both of those. We also have CRDs for things like schema registry, which allows you to do you know, schema validation, uh, connect workers, which allow you to do some of those integrations you were talking about earlier. Say we want to pull data out of a database and put that into Kafka or put in, take it from Kafka, put it to Snowflake or mm -hmm. S3. Right? We, we can run those with a CRD. Um, we have a stream processing engine that runs on top of Kafka that, that's a CRD. And then we have a control plane UI kind of thing called Control Center that is also a CRD. So those are the pods that will run via various CRDs. Um, separate from that, we also have, you know, things in Kafka, right? So things like how do you manage your permissions in Kafka? How yeah. do you manage the sets of data? We call them topics in Kafka. We have CRDs for those and a number of other things that are available through our operator. And I think, you know, again, StreamZ has similar architecture, not quite the same, but, you know, similar layout. So the, for the most part, it sounds like the majority of things can be controlled by CRDs right. uh, in YAML. Uh, pretty much. Uh, are are there things that can't be, I guess, uh, be you know controlled through YAML or through CRDs, or or is it mostly that's the experience that uh, you're going for? Uh, I would say the vast majority of what you're looking to do can be. <coughs> I'm sorry. The vast majority of what you're looking to do can be managed through CRDs, right? Mm -hmm. Obviously, the data you're putting into Kafka would not be a CRD, but like the infrastructure, right? Which is what you know the things you would want to run via an operator. All that is managed by CRDs. Okay, got it. So uh, you, I know you said a couple of different CRDs, right? Like the Zookeeper cluster and then the actual broker cluster. Uh, I know the open source community or, or at least the Kafka community is moving towards something like a craft or right. consensus management. Right. Uh, is that an option that's available using the Confluent operator for Kubernetes or uh, are we still using uh, Zookeeper right now? So as of today, um, craft is actually not considered GA, right? So if you go to the mm -hmm. Apache Kafka Git repo, um, it, there's like a big disclaimer saying it's not ready for GA, right? It mm -hmm. works functionally, right? There, and there, but there's a few gaps that aren't complete. I don't know them off the top of my head, but there are things that don't work yet. Okay. And um, it's not, it just hasn't been tested or it hasn't been run in production really anywhere. So we are working on supporting that with our operator. And once that is available in the open source, we will automatically, or we will work on adding that to our operator. But as of the day, you still do need a separate Zookeeper cluster. Okay, got it. Thank you. So uh, I think next question is around like 
connectors, right? I know uh, we mentioned like, okay, getting data from databases into into the streaming platform or writing data to databases from the streaming platform. Uh, I think traditionally we did have something like syncs or, or using databases at that endpoint. If I'm using Kafka on Kubernetes, is that something that like we already have integrations for? Like if I wanted to deploy a, a, a Kafka cluster using Confluence operator and then push it to MongoDB, how does that work? How, how Like how can people make that work in Kubernetes? Yeah, so we, we actually have two CRDs today that manage that, right? The first CRD runs what's called a connect worker or a, connect, a set of connect workers, right? Mm-hmm. These are the actual pods that handle the processing that take data from your existing data source and put it into Kafka or take it from Kafka and put it into a data sync, right? Mm-hmm. So sources yeah. are things like existing databases, syncs are things like data warehouses, data lakes, et cetera. Um, so we have a, the first CRD basically runs the worker nodes, right? Individual okay. processes that do the processing. The second CRD is actually used for configuration. So you can say, I'm going to run a worker node cluster. I need to, on top of that cluster, I need to run a source connector that reads data out of my MariaDB database. And then I want to run another connector that picks data out of Kafka and puts it to S3, right? So you would have a CRD for the worker cluster and then a CRD for the source connector and a CRD for the sync connector or Mm -hmm. however many connectors you need. Okay, that's awesome. And does this fit into the UI component as well that gets deployed? Uh, so the UI is, um, when you're doing CRDs, what we usually say is the UI is primarily visualization or observability, okay. right? Here's yep. the state of things that are happening. We don't prevent customers from creating things out of band, right? So if a customer has a connect worker cluster, we don't prevent them say, from making an API call to start a connector that does something else. So there's a little bit of like the whole, like the, if, if you have a declarative definition of something, what happens if you do things imperatively and the drip yeah. is there? <laughs> That's just something you have to be careful of, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but functionally, the, all that works, right? You, you run the connect worker, you run the, the UI layer, the control center, and that will show you what's going on and allow you to you know, kind of see what's the status of your the state of the world. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that that's perfect, right? The way you laid it out, like declarative versus imperative. I, at the last episode that we did was around GitOps, and we emphasized this as well. Like, yep. if you're f- using something like GitOps, don't go and make changes from the UI. So right. my question was more around like, okay, can I use the UI? If once I've made those connections from my CRDs or from my uh, like CLI resources, uh, can I visualize them or can somebody in the team visualize them using the control center UI? Yeah, we, we allow you, or we don't currently prevent you from doing it, but mm-hmm. we don't, but we don't recommend it if you're doing yeah. it. You know, I, I like declarative everything. So one of my previous jobs was CICD, right? I like declarative everything. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Uh, you can get into a wacky situation, right? <laughs> if you have admins uh, making changes from the UI and others doing it uh, you mm-hmm. know, declaratively. So yeah, I mean, it leads me to a next question. Um, a good lead in, I guess, is sort of best practices. You know, what are things that you know people should really be aware of or keep in mind if they're you know the one running it or or using it uh, in in uh, in in production? There's a there's a few things to be aware of, I guess, when you're when you're doing. Kafka on Kubernetes, right? So the operators make a lot of it really easy, but it is still helpful to have a solid understanding of storage fundamentals in Kubernetes, networking fundamentals in Kubernetes. And mm-hmm. honestly, you, you need a pretty reliable Kubernetes cluster to, to get this to work, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, if you're doing a dev cluster, that's perfectly fine. We see a lot of customers that say, I want to run Kafka on Kubernetes in the cloud, or I want to run Kafka on Kubernetes in, the, in, your, in your data center, right? All that works. You just need to... The, spend some time getting comfortable with all the, the core foundational Kubernetes concepts. And then you can start running like the more, you know, realistically Kafka on Kubernetes, data, data services on Kubernetes is a 
slightly more advanced topic, as I'm sure you know, as I'm sure you sure. talk about yeah. all the time on this podcast. <laughs> yeah. um, so as long as you have those core foundational things, you're probably good to go. Um, there's things around like, you know, if you have different teams that want access to Kafka, there's different patterns around, oh, each team should have their own Kafka cluster versus a single large Kafka cluster. And like, how do you handle multi-tenancy? And, mm -hmm. and there's, there's like a whole big rabbit hole you can go down that path. But realistically, the, be the best things to do are just to be comfortable and familiar with Kubernetes, and then you should be okay running Kafka on top. Got it. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure it doesn't hurt to be familiar with Kafka um, and and really understand sort of the ins and outs, I guess, right. before running on a Kubernetes. But uh, hopefully if you've done the due diligence to learn Kubernetes, you're already half of the way or yeah. most of the way there. Um, uh, yeah, Kubernetes can be sort of um, um, its own animal. But right. uh, when, when you do understand it well, you know, like you said earlier to the point that Kafka is a distributed system. And so when... Kubernetes is running well and you really understand it, um, I imagine those things aid well to running Kafka itself, right? So um, it makes a lot of sense. So um, I think beyond running Kafka sort of on a, a single Kubernetes cluster, what about um, its multi-cluster or multi-cloud sort of uh, possibilities? Yeah, so there's a couple of different ways we see this achieved, right? So at Confluent, we have two high-level stories for this, right? One story is that you could have, you know, maybe you have multiple Kubernetes clusters. Some of them are in different clouds. Some of them are in different regions. Some of them are under your data center. Mm -hmm. And it's very easy to run a Kafka cluster on each one, right? So mm -hmm. on a given Kubernetes cluster, you can run a Kafka cluster. And then between your Kafka clusters in, you know, wherever they happen to be, there are various ways to synchronize data between them, right? So we have, there's open source offerings for this. There's one called MirrorMaker2. There's Confluent offerings for this. We have one called Replicator and one called Cluster Linking, right? Not I'm going to go too deep into those, but there are offerings that basically say, okay, we can synchronize data between multiple Kafka clusters. The harder story is how do we handle Kafka if we want to run a single Kafka cluster around, across multiple Kubernetes clusters, right? Mm -hmm. One of the core foundational requirements for Kafka is that all the brokers need to be able to talk directly to each other, right? So right. that means that if you want to run a single Kafka cluster across multiple Kubernetes clusters, you really need to have your networking dialed in. Right? We need to be able to resolve IP addresses and pod names across Kubernetes clusters and reach IP addresses and pod name pods across Kubernetes clusters. So we have, you know, there's various ways, ways to achieve that. Mm -hmm. um, there, we, have, we have a blog post, we have a documentation, there's other companies that have done similar. Mm -hmm. So it's definitely technically feasible, but it's definitely a much more advanced use case. Do Got you it. see a lot of people like doing that in the field? Like I know you work with a lot of customers or is it mostly like one cloud or one Kubernetes cluster? I would say most customers have one cloud or one Kubernetes cluster, but not because it's not possible. It's more just they, they do the technical due diligence and realistically the business due diligence and determine mm -hmm. it's not worth the effort or worth mm -hmm. the cost. Yeah. But I have seen a few customers that are actually doing this in production. Right. So there's a few customers that have, you know, multiple Kubernetes clusters, maybe across different cloud regions or maybe across multiple data centers. And then they're running a single large Kafka cluster that spans those Kubernetes clusters. And that fully works. It just you need to be okay with the cost and the uh, operational expense of that. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I feel like you know that multi-cluster is definitely more common, but then that multi-cloud has been this architecture that a lot of people have been sort of knocking on, and we've we've definitely seen more commonly over the last few years. Yeah. Um, you know, I I'd, I'd like to have the same conversation like five years from now and see what that world looks like, because um, I feel like we are getting to the point where a lot of these 
technologies and sort of support for doing these kind of things and and in terms of you know having the uh, the network that you need and those kind of uh, different uh, concepts are getting to the point where it's becoming more sort of operationally friendly um, versus making it to the point where like, yeah, it's not really worth the overall cost and and sort of uh, OPEX (laughs) associated with doing that kind of thing. Cool. Yeah. The one one thing I want to call out, right? Like the, the network architecture is completely fine, right? Like you can set it up. We have documentation on how to do that. One thing we've actually seen more of our customers do recently is pull back from multi-cloud because of the cost. Right. Yep. Straight yeah. up like Kafka is a data platform. And if you're running Kafka in production, you're putting a lot of data through it. Mm-hmm. So if you're pushing multiple megabytes per second or multiple gigabytes per second between different clouds, that gets really expensive mm-hmm. really quickly. Yeah. And that's something that, you know, customers I may bet. or may not be aware of. Mm-hmm. No, those egress costs really yeah. definitely add up for customers. <laughs> Uh, okay, I think my my next question is around like the op- more going back to the operator, right? Like, how about day two operations? Can I do things like scale up, scale out? How do I uh, build a resilient architecture? What about data protection? Like all of the day two operations and and go. <laughs> yeah, so I mean that, that that's a big realm of conversation. Mm-hmm. Obviously, um, one of the big ones, especially with you know distributed data platform like Kafka, is that. By default, you run some number of pods, right? We have disks attached to all the pods. If you're looking to scale up or you're looking to scale down, you have to figure out what to do with that data for the pods that are coming up or the pods that are coming down, right? So scaling up is a little bit easier, right? You add additional pods and then maybe you rebalance the data. And we actually have a way to do that in Confluent natively. So you you enable a setting. And then as you add additional pods, we'll take care of rebalancing the data for you. Scaling down is a little bit harder, right? So there's obviously a minimum size for a Kafka cluster that you want to run, right? So that you can have, you know, some minimum availability. But before you scale down, you need to make sure that you either cordon off that data or make or move that data to the existing broker so that when you delete or you know, turn off the pod, you yeah. don't lose your data, right? So we've built a lot of automation. There's actually a lot of engineering that goes into making that work in our operator and a lot more automation and engineering that makes that goes into making that work in our cloud, right? So it's completely possible. Mm-hmm. And again, we, we put a lot of work to make it as user-friendly as possible, but it's something to be aware of. The, the other part of day two operations, things like you know, upgrades and how do you manage, like yep. you handle patches, how do you handle security, how do you, you know, rolling up, right? One of the nice things about operators in, general, operators in general, and I guess our operator in the specific is that we make a lot of that really easy, right? So you say like, I need to upgrade from version X to version Y. Um, I just changed my YAML definition, there's a version field effectively. And mm-hmm. apply it, and then the operator takes care of rolling restarts and mm-hmm. replacing one pod at a time. Right, it's kind of one of those things that Kubernetes makes easy, and then our operator leverages those capabilities to make it even easier. Right, so there's, it's pretty decent to run it on Kafka on Kubernetes. It it generally you know kind of works. You just got to again have the foundational understanding of what's going on to to make it work. Gotcha. No, thank you. That that helps, right? Uh, and I think uh, I, I do want to uh, use y- you as a resource because you are uh, so uh, like your role is customer facing. Like, can you share more customer use cases? Uh, I know we already spoke about a few different ones, but actual customers, uh, we don't even need to like share names, but just like how are different verticals using Kafka on Kubernetes? Okay. So I cover a couple, okay, I cover telco and I cover <laughs> healthcare and I cover financial services or I have in the past, yeah. right? So from the perspective of how other various companies are using Kafka, right? In the financial services industry, we see companies that are doing mortgage processing using Kafka to handle like, oh, I've uploaded a mortgage. I'm going to you know handle the payments on that. 
Um, we also see customers using uh, Kafka for things like credit card transactions, right? So Kafka is used very heavily kind of across the financial services industry. Um, we see something similar in healthcare, right? So, you know, as a health insurance provider or a healthcare provider, right? You have customers that come to you and say, I'm going to go to the doctor. I need mm -hmm. to prescribe it or I need to, you know, have a pill prescribed or whatever, right? A lot of the individual things that I'm like interacting with the business, those are events and those events can be put into Kafka. And those events can be used for things, right? So as, as a healthcare provider, I can gather all of this information about my customer, right? So Justin mm -hmm. is, you know, he goes to the doctor, he gets a vaccine, and then he buys vitamin C. And you can use that to generate a profile about your customer and then use that to you know, turn around and say, okay, we think Justin is a perfect candidate for you know, advertising campaign X, which maybe he, he needs like a different insurance policy, or maybe yeah. he needs like, we're going to send him coupons for a particular set of products or that, that sort of thing is, is really common in the Kafka world. Um, in the telco space, we see, you mentioned the, the story around like soldiers running around with a backpack yeah. with Kafka in them. Um, one of the nice things about Kafka is that it works, um, it, it's, it's, it works really well as a buffer of data, right? So we, we're working on use cases where, you know, customers may have, you know, intermittent connectivity back to the cloud or back to the internet, right? So maybe there's like, you're in a farm or, or a rural area somewhere and you don't have mm -hmm. access or your access isn't super consistent. You can have various things around your, your farm or whatever that are capturing data and aggregating that locally. And then if you need to stream that to back to some central location, you can then do that, right? And so capturing different pieces of information, things like, oh, temperature sensors or our, our precipitation sensors or our fertilization across a larger farm, right? We can capture all that information. We can gather together. We can say, hey, based on the temperature, we, maybe we need to turn on the sprinkler in this particular zone. Right. And, and Kafka is a really good use case for that as well. So Kafka is one of those like it's one of those things like if you ask somebody, what is what is a database used for? What does yeah. a database do? It, it can be used for anything you want. Right. There's all sorts of different use cases. Mm -hmm. There are all sorts of different patterns. It really just depends on what you're looking to do. And Kafka is a, a really powerful platform for that. Got it. Awesome. Makes sense. Those are a wide range of uh, different types of examples and use cases. I, I like it. Um, well, I think, you know. The next thing I think I want to ask is, um, you know, how can you get started using Kafka, uh, specifically Kafka and Kubernetes? Like, where would I go first, or where would you suggest people to go first to to start learning these things? So you can go to our documentation, right? We have really solid documentation for installing the operator on your Kubernetes cluster and then getting Kafka up and running, right? If you're looking for an open source solution, there's also Streamsy, right? It's part of you know open source, and you can go and run that, and that works. But you know, both of them are really solid options, and, and they both make it really easy to get started with running Kafka on Kubernetes. Got it. And of course, um, we'll put all those links in the show notes for anyone who's looking to get started with the examples and sort of documentations uh, that Justin is talking about. Um, and you know, I think you know, with that, Justin, um, I don't have any more questions for you, but I think I've learned a lot about Kafka and sort of how it's used and how to get started and. Um, what day two operations looks like. And it's been a, a joy uh, talking to you uh, on, on today's podcast. No, oh, thanks for the invite. I really enjoyed it. And it was great being here. Thank you. Thank you, Justin. All right. That was a great conversation with Justin. I think there was a lot to get from that conversation. I know it's been some time since I've really used Kafka in production at uh, my stint in, in healthcare. Um, but uh, like I said before, you know, the the streaming concept and the types of data put in put in Kafka really kind of ring true to me there. 
Um, so let's talk about our takeaways, Bob. And uh, why don't you kick it off and l- let me know what you got out of that conversation? Yeah. So for me, it was around the distributed nature of Kafka itself and how that works really well with Kubernetes. So Kafka being a distributed platform needs an infrastructure stack or a platform that can handle all of those different constructs. Kubernetes already has this figured out uh, over the years. So uh, it can help you with not just day zero orchestration, but also with things like making sure the you have your desired state matching the, the current state of your Kafka cluster. Uh, things like non-disruptive rolling upgrades, things like uh, making sure the node to node, the service to service or pod to pod communication works. All of that has already been figured out with Kubernetes. So Kafka really just fits in as that streaming platform uh, that organizations might want to use. Mm-hmm. And the second thing that really stood out to me was uh, the, the managed service that Confluent offers for Kafka and how it's run on Kubernetes itself. Like the, the scale that Justin spoke about, like running 2000 Kubernetes clusters, uh, 50,000 nodes in total, half a million Kafka pods. Again, he did, he did say that there, were, there might be infrastructure pods as well in that half a million number. But this is this is the scale that vendors are trusting Kubernetes for, uh, with. Basically, they are they know that Kubernetes is a resilient system and can help them run uh, uh, these distributed platforms. And they're offering it as a service and actually trusting that to generate revenue for them. So uh, regardless of whether you are consuming your managed service or using your operator for running it on your own Kubernetes cluster, there are benefits of adopting Kafka on Kubernetes. Absolutely. And I think going back to that article we talked about at the beginning of the podcast around complexity, this is one of those cases where it's very worth it, right? Being yeah. that Kafka uh, benefits from you know being run as a d- distributed system on Kubernetes, that you know Kubernetes helps out the way that it runs and heals uh, during failures and things like that. And being able to scale fast, right? And we know that Kubernetes enables um, you know this to happen as well. And just seeing these numbers, I think, makes a ton of sense. So um, really interesting points. Uh, and I agree completely. Um, I think some other ones were just the different, you know, industries that, uh, Justin talked about, you know, whether that's healthcare, uh, financial services, uh, farming or ag tech, um, uh, with the different sensors mm-hmm. for, you know, the different agricultural com- com- components and sort of, you know, rain gauges and those kind of things. I think Kafka is a, not a jack of all trades, but it, it can be applied in many, many different um, uh, technology scenarios. So uh, not surprising there, but I think that, you know, that uh, was a good point that uh, Justin brought up. And then just, um, you know, coming back to this multi-cloud, multi-cluster conversation that I think we've we've had over and over again on this podcast. And, you know, um, it's always one of those topics that, you know, some people are kind of pushing and, and getting to that cutting edge of doing it. But, you know, Justin talked about how, you know, he sees certain customers or companies get to that point where they do the investment and sort of uh, figure out that the, you know, the costs associated with doing that versus sort of what they get out of it might not be worth it. So, you know, in not seen as much in the field, but um, I guess, you know, a little bit surprising that we didn't see more of that, you know, obviously Kafka, um, can support these ty- types of um, uh, architectures. Mm-hmm. So um, I'd like to have that conversation again. I think I said this in the podcast in a few years to see what that looks like yep. with a lot of the people we've talked to on the podcast. But uh, yeah, really great conversation. And um, uh, hopefully we'll have Justin on again in the future. Um, again, we'll have all the show notes available for you with all the links to docs and strimzy and and cfps and all that um you can find that wherever you find this podcast go ahead and find those show notes and and you can find the links there 
Um, and please, uh, if you can review our podcast or, or give us feedback and messages or direct messages on Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever, uh, please, we encourage you to do that. Um, we've already had a number of different listeners reach out. Thank you to those listeners, first of all, for listening. Um, uh, and, um, you know, we've had those uh, comments actually go right into uh, feedback for new episodes. So it always really helps to kind of hear what our listeners have to say. And um, it, you know, really helps us out with the show. Uh, and a little plug, we will be, um, well, I'll say this for the next couple of shows, but we will be at KubeCon um, uh, in sort of the second half of October. Uh, we will be there as a show, Bob and I, um, <laughs> and uh, hopefully be talking to uh, some folks at the conference. So if you have been on the show, or you're a listener to the show, Come find us. Say hi. We might even have you on the show. Who knows? We're gonna yeah, try to do some live. interesting yeah. war stories with Kubernetes, right? Let's just let's just have them on the pod, like for yeah. everyone to know. Yeah, exactly. We're gonna try to do a live thing. It'll be fun, um, and uh, hopefully have some stickers. You know, don't hold me to it. We'll, we'll, <laughs> we're still <laughs> in production with those. I guess I could say. Um, but uh, yeah, with that uh, brings me to the end of today's episode. Uh, I'm Ryan. I'm Pavan. And thanks for joining another episode of Kubernetes Bites. Thank you for listening to the Kubernetes Bytes podcast. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply.